Our Sunday morning series is a study through Psalms, through the book of Psalms, and we're coming to the end of our series. We haven't looked at all of the Psalms, but we've looked at a good number of them. We have four weeks left. That includes this morning. Our passage this morning is Psalm 100, so you can find Psalm 100. If you like to look ahead and read ahead, next week we're going to look at Psalm 10. Week after that, we're going to look at two Psalms on the same week, and you'll understand why when we get there. We're going to look at Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 together, and then we're going to end by looking at Psalm 150. So, three more weeks after this morning, but our passage this morning is Psalm 100. Find it in a Bible. Grab one in front of you, open up your, your phone or your tablet or whatever, but find Psalm 100. Here's a few things you need to know about Psalm 100 before we jump in. This is the only psalm written for the purpose of giving thanks. And so in your Bible, when you look above verse 1, you see that there's a little note. In my Bible, it's set apart because it's in all caps, and the note says, a psalm for giving thanks. And so at this point in our series, you know that some psalms have authors listed, some psalms uh, have information about how you're supposed to sing it or where you're supposed to sing it or what was going on in the life of the author. This is the only one that has this note, a psalm for giving thanks. Now, I just looked up this word uh, this week, the word thanks, and I looked in the book of Psalms. Dozens and dozens of passages in the book of Psalms that talk about giving thanks thanks to God. Give thanks to God. I thank God for this. I thank God for this. Lots of passages about that. Uh, the word thanksgiving itself, thanksgiving occurs eight different times in eight different Psalms. So the idea of thanksgiving is all the way spread through the book of Psalms. But I just want to make the point, this is the only one specifically written for the purpose of giving thanks. It has a rich history of use, both in Jew- Jewish tradition and Catholic Tradition. It's been set to music many, many times. I point that out not so that you think it's more important than other psalms or so that you think that other psalms are not as important as this one. I'm just pointing out to you that this one has struck a chord with people throughout history. They've set it to music over and over and over again. In fact, one time I taught a Bible study on Psalm 100. It was in, we were in Kentucky. It was a Wednesday night Bible study, and I taught on this passage, and a guy in the back row raised his hand sort of towards the beginning, and he said, when I grew up, we used to sing Psalm 100, and I know a song, and all it is is the words of Psalm 100, word for word all the way through. And so, of course, I made him sing it for us that Wednesday night. So, any of you know that song? Anybody? Nobody? Shocking. Nobody knows it. Amazing. Some of you might know that song. In Jewish tradition, this song has been associated with the Day of Atonement. They would sing this song on the Day of Atonement as part of the the celebration and the worship on that day. They would sing it as part of the Passover celebration. It became part of that sort of Passover liturgy. Uh, It even had a, a, a strong history of use in the temple that when God's people would gather together, this is one of sort of their go to psalms that they would sing and that they would think about and that they would use in worship. Uh, in Catholic tradition, there's a man named St. Benedict. You may have heard of 
him. If you've ever heard of Benedictine monks, St. Benedict, he lives a long, lived a long time ago. And he put something together called the monastic rule. And it basically was a list of things that he wanted his monks to do. And Psalm 100 was a key part of his monastic rule. It's usually sung in Catholic traditions on Christmas Mass or Easter Mass. And again, I'm not saying that to you for any other reason than to say a lot of different people, a lot of different traditions look at Psalm 100 and recognize the importance of it. And it's been used in very important days. In our faith tradition, it has a long history of being known as Old 100th. And so one of the only psalms, I guess you would say, that has a nickname, its own nickname, Old 100th. And so we're going to look at Old 100th this morning. If I had to give you one sort of summary big idea, uh, I don't think it's difficult to do in Psalm 100, and this is what it would be. Psalm 100 reminds us that giving thanks is about acknowledging the giver more than his gifts. And I think we have a tendency to... Some of you guys do, and we sing hymns, and I usually pick a couple at the beginning, and then I let you guys who are here pick a song or two at the end. And the only song that I ban from the whole hymn book is Count Your Blessings. And I don't like that song, because when I sing it, I've told you this before, I just get this feeling like I'm supposed to count them out, make a list, one, two, three, four. And when I start to think that way, I start to think about things that I'm thankful for. I'm not so much thinking about the giver of those things as I am receiving the actual things that I feel like I'm supposed to be thankful for. And Psalm 100 just kind of flips that on its head. And I'm going to mention this again to be very clear about it at the end. There's no things mentioned in Psalm 100. I just want you to think about that. It's the only psalm written for the purpose of giving thanks And you would expect in a psalm like that, with a note like that, okay, he's about to tell us the things that we should be thankful for, and it just doesn't play out the way that you might expect it to. So we're going to read it. It's a short psalm, only five verses, and uh, then we'll pray and we'll jump in and talk about what Psalm 100 says. So here we go, Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people in the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Father, humble us this morning and help us to be thankful people. Forgive us when we focus on gifts more than you, on things more than you, on circumstances more than you. And help us this morning as we look at this psalm to understand what it would look like for us to be thankful people. So we pray that your spirit would do this work in our hearts. We pray that your word would be living and active in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to finish our study in the book of Psalms. 
And when we get to November, we're going to spend about three weeks talking about Thanksgiving. That's going to be our focus as we lead into the Thanksgiving holiday. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving. But this is a good time before we even get to November, before we start thinking about turkeys and football and all those things that we put around Thanksgiving celebration to just stop and to sort of check our hearts and to ask ourselves if we are truly thankful people as it's outlined in Psalm 100. So the good news about Psalm 100 is that it's a lot shorter than some of the other psalms we've looked at. And as I always sort of throw this disclaimer out, we're not going to talk about everything that we could talk about in Psalm 100, but we're going to cover some pretty good ground and we're going to be pretty thorough this morning. And I just want you to see what does old 100 say about being a thankful person. And I'm just going to give you a couple of ideas. Here we go. Number one, thanksgiving involves emotion. It necessarily involves emotion. You take emotion out of the equation, and according to Psalm 100, you can't be a thankful person. Verse 1 and verse 2, make a, what kind of noise? Joyful noise. Serve the Lord, not begrudgingly, but how? With gladness. Be joyful and be glad. You know, about a year ago, I was using a Bible reading plan where I sort of read different sections of the Bible every day. And one of the things in that Bible reading plan that you did is you read from the book of Psalms every day. You read the whole book a couple of times in a year, but every day I was reading something from the book of Psalms. And I'd been thinking about this, and I, I just wanted to mark my Bible up and see what it looked like at the end. And so as I read through Psalms, I was reading a little bit every day, right? Didn't do this all at once, but throughout the year. Every time an emotion was mentioned, I just circled it. And out beside there wrote, emotion, right? And I just went all the way through the book and looked at that. I just want you to get a little bit of the flavor of this. Hold your spot in Psalm 100 and go backwards to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 2. Verse 2 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's an emotion. When you delight in something, you are feeling an emotion. It talks about it in chapter 1. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's at least three references to emotion in that one verse. Fear, Rejoicing, trembling. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. I will not be afraid. That's an emotion. Fear is an emotion. And he says, I will not be afraid. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. I have joy in my heart. That's an emotion. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice, emotion. Let them sing for joy, emotion, and spread your protection over them that those who love, an emotion, your name may exalt emotion in you. Look, we could go to chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. We could go through the whole book. The point I'm trying to get across to you is this. This book placed right in the middle of our Bibles, right in the middle of the wisdom literature, intended to give us wisdom about how we worship God. One of the things that runs all the way from the book, Psalm 1 to 150, is you should feel certain things and you should not feel other things. 
And I realize that runs headlong into what our world tells us. Because the world just sort of says, you know, that's the way you feel. This is the way I feel. That's the way you feel. Who's, who are we to question how somebody feels about something or their emotions? You just sort of feel something and you go with it. That's what we do. And the book of Psalms says, no, 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 no. There's some things in your relationship with God you should feel. There's certain emotions you should feel this way. And it says you should not feel this way. And in particular, back to Psalm 100, if you want to be a thankful person, the only psalm written for the purpose of giving thanks, you have to make a noise to the Lord joyfully. It's an emotion you have to feel, joy. And you have to serve the Lord with gladness. I don't know how you walk away from Psalm 101 and 2 thinking you can be a thankful person if the majority of your life you walk around sour and grumpy. And you say, well, pastor, don't you know anything? Joy doesn't mean you have to walk around with a smile on your face all. I know joy doesn't mean you have to walk around with a smile on your face all day long, but I also know that a joyful, glad person doesn't walk around with a frown on their face all the day long. And Psalm 100 is saying, if you're going to be a thankful person, you have to be joyful. You have to be a glad person. Now, I'm going to be real honest, okay? Step out of the pastor mode here and step into the confessional booth. And I'll just say, sometimes I don't feel that way. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys have this mastered. You don't struggle with this. But sometimes I wake up and I just, it's one of those days and I say, I'm not very joyful today. And nothing is making me glad. And I don't feel that way. So what do you do? Because my guess is you've been there. And my guess is you know that it really is a hard thing to just sort of muster up emotion that you don't feel. So if the book of Psalms is saying you must feel this way, you ought to feel this way, you can't feel that way, you shouldn't feel that way, and you're on the wrong side of that fence, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you confess it to God as sin. You don't just sit around and justify it in your own life and think about all the reasons that you have to be feeling miserable or whatever emotion you're feeling that you shouldn't be feeling. You confess it to God as sin. You say, God, this is how I feel. You know that's how I feel. And God, I know that that's wrong. That's a pretty good first step for you to say out loud or in your heart to the Lord, I'm feeling this way and I acknowledge that it is sinful for me to feel this way. Then you take it one step further and you say, God, I can't change my heart, but you can. You're the one that can take out a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. You're the one that can change my emotions and my heart, and I need you to do that. You're asking God to do it. And then the third thing I do, or I ought to do, or you ought to do, is you begin to look at your life and say, is there sin in my life that I need to deal with? Because here's the reality. Sin in your life and mine always promises to bring us joy and happiness, and it never delivers. Never. It can't deliver. We chase after these little G gods, these little idols, and we think they're going to make us so happy and content and fulfilled, and we get them, and we're not. So you're going to confess it to God. 
it's wrong. I shouldn't feel this way. I need you to help me. I need you to change my heart. Then you begin to look at your life and you need to say, is there stuff in my life I need to get rid of? Maybe that's the reason I'm feeling emotions that I shouldn't feel or I'm not feeling emotions that I should feel. It's because I have issues of sin in my life that need to be dealt with. But Psalm 100 is clear on the issue of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving involves emotions, specifically joy and gladness. Number two, thanksgiving involves service. We've already talked about this a little bit, but verse two says, serve the Lord with gladness. So we've covered the gladness part. Now let's talk about service. When I say serve God, what comes into your mind? Just think, don't say it out loud, just think. Think about serving. My guess is that some of these things come into your mind. Okay? Maybe you think about the men and the women who serve our country in the military. We use that language, right? People who serve the United States and they fight in the military, they serve in the military, so we talk about service. Maybe you think about first responders, people who serve our community and they keep us safe, our police officers and our firefighters and our doctors and nurses. Think about those people who serve us. Maybe you're hungry right now, so when I say the word serve, you're thinking about lunch, And not a salad like that, but like a plate of enchiladas at Rosa's. And you're saying, I need some service, man. Serve them up. Let's go. Chips and queso, enchiladas. I hope the service is quick, right? I hope it's good. I hope they do something for me in a timely way. Or maybe we've had a little dose of cool weather. Maybe you're like me and you're ready for summer already. And you say, it is freezing cold in Odessa right now. I went to football games, everybody had their coats on and boots on and so freezing cold. You just want to go to the beach, you want to sit on a chair like that, dip your toes in the ocean and let somebody serve you and bring you a little drink with an umbrella or something while you relax. And you say, I just just want somebody to serve me, okay? We use the word serve for all of those things, service, servants, serving. But if you're thinking in those terms... When you're thinking about serving God, you sort of go off in a direction that the Bible doesn't want you to go. So we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. Look what Psalm 50 says about serving God. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. This is what I want you to see. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. What God is saying to you in that verse in Psalm 50 is, I don't need anything from you. I don't need you to do anything for me. And Paul says the same thing in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. You read that and you're like, what? I've been told since kindergarten that I'm supposed to grow up and serve God. And Paul, the great missionary, says he is not served by humans. He's not served served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Here's what Paul and the psalmist are trying to say to you when you think about serving God. If in your mind... Serving God is sort of like you doing God favors, you helping God out, you doing things for God that maybe he couldn't handle otherwise. You've completely gone off track in the idea of serving God. 
You say, okay, God doesn't need anything. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Well, Psalm 100 says, you serve the Lord. Do it with gladness. So how do I do that? And I think the best answer that I can give you to help you thinking about what does it mean to serve God, what does it not mean, is a parable Jesus told about sheep and goats. You remember that story? Jesus said there's a day coming where everybody's going to be separated. The sheep are going to be on this side and the goats are going to be on that side. And he's not talking about livestock. He's talking about you and me. He says we're going to put some people over here. We're going to put some people over here. He's going to turn to these people, the sheep, and he's going to say to them, thank you for all that you did for me. You clothed me. You took me in. You gave me a drink of cold water. You gave me something to eat. Thank you for that. And he's going to look over here at these goats on the other side. He's going to say to these goats, I'm really disappointed that you guys didn't feed me and clothe me and take me in and give me something to drink when I was thirsty. And the sheep over here are going to look at the shepherd and they're going to say, you know, you're welcome, I guess, but we don't remember doing any of that for you. And Jesus says what? When you did it for the least among you, you actually did it for me. What he's saying is, I don't need a house. I don't need a cup of cold water. I don't need a meal. I don't need anything from you. But when you did it for the people who did need it, you, in effect, did it for me. And he's going to look at these guys over here, and these guys are going to say the same thing. Hey, wait a minute. Time out. If you would have showed up at my house, Jesus, asking for all that stuff, I would have gladly given it to you. And Jesus says, eh, you kind of missed the point. When you did not do it for the least among you, you didn't do it for me. When you think about serving God, do not fall into the trap of thinking, I'm going to do something that God needs me to do. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. When you think about serving God, it has to be funneled through the idea of serving other people. In particular, according to Jesus, the least who are among us. And Psalm 100 says, if you're going to be a thankful person, you serve the Lord. We do that by serving others. And it says you do that with gladness. Number three, thanksgiving involves the truth. There's no thanksgiving apart from the truth about who God is and what he's done for his people. So look at verse three, three truths in verse three. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his, we are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist is saying, this is what you need to know to be a thankful person. You need to know that the Lord is God and that's Lord in all caps. Yahweh is God. There is no other God. Baal is not God. Asher is not God. Sex is not God. Money is not God. Power is not God. Education is not God. Your favorite sports team is not God. Yahweh alone is God. You got to know that. Secondly, the Lord is creator. He made us. Thirdly, the Lord is our redeemer. And you look at this verse, Psalm 100, verse 3, and you say, okay, know that the Lord, he is God. See the first one. It is he who made us, and we are his. See the second one. He's our creator. But you're saying, how do you get this idea that he's our redeemer 
from the psalmist saying we are his sheep. How do you fit those two things together? And you fit them together by looking at John 10. I'm amazed how many times you read through the book of Psalms and you can make sense of something in Psalms by turning to John 10. Look what Jesus says to his disciples. John 10. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved, and he'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Look at the next passage. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's where we get the idea of redemption. Our shepherd lays his life down to purchase us, to buy us. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Listen, you read the book of Psalms in the context of the New Testament, in in the context of all of Scripture, it's telling you something amazing. There is a shepherd who is willing, ready, and able to lead you to green pastures and beside still waters. He's able to care for your soul. He's able to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's able to do all of those things because as our shepherd, he willingly, joyfully laid down his life to redeem us. And the only reason the psalmist can say that we are his people, we're his sheep, is that we've been redeemed. It's not just that we showed up here as God's people. The Bible says that when you showed up here, you were God's enemy. Left to yourself, you're hostile to God. But the Bible says that God has made peace between him and his people because the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Look, this isn't really flattering, but it's true. The Bible says that each and every one of us, all of us, left to ourselves, are sinners. And the only thing that God owes us, are you ready for this? The only thing that God owes a sinner is instant death and eternal separation from his presence. That's all you're owed. That's it. Nothing more. Instant death and eternal separation forever. And when you realize that, that you're a sinner and the only thing that God owes you, the only thing that you really have coming to you is death and separation forever. And then you look at your life and you say, but I have so many good things in my life. I have so many good things in my life. Why do I have these things? Why has God given me these things? You realize it's not because he owed them to me. It's because they're blood-bought gifts of his grace. Anything in your life, this is a big category, okay? Anything in your life other than instant death and eternal separation from God is a blood-bought gift that the shepherd purchased for you when he laid down his life for the sheep. Do you see how that changes the way that you give thanks? Let's bring it back to Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. You and I have a tendency to count our blessings, Name them one by one, and we say, well, thank you for this, and thank you for this, and thank you for that, and thank you for that. And we just try to get all the things in our life put into that category so we don't feel guilty about being unthankful and leaving them out. The problem is, when we think about thankfulness that way, the center of our hearts is stuff, things, 
other people. And Psalm 100 says that should never be the center of your heart. That's a terrible way to center your heart. Your heart needs to be centered on God, the true God, your creator and your redeemer who died to purchase these good things in your life. So now you turn around with this perspective, God's the one true God, he's my creator, he's my redeemer, and you say the only reason I have all these things to be thankful for is that God is my creator and God is my redeemer. Jesus Christ died to give me these blessings that I enjoy. And that changes the way that you think about being thankful. Number four, thanksgiving involves words. It has to involve words. This is maybe the most basic idea in Psalm 100, but I don't want you to miss it. Verse 2 says, come into his presence with singing. That's opening your mouth and words are coming out, singing, right? Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Thanksgiving, praise, bless. All involve words. You can't do any of those things unless words are coming out of your mouth. And the psalmist is saying, look, if you're going to be a thankful person, at some point it's got to come out of your mouth. Every one of you knows this is true, right? Either you've raised a kid or you once were a kid, everyone in the room. And when kids are growing up, what do you do? You make them say, thank you. I hope you do if you're parents or grandparents. I hope you're drumming them into your kids saying, you got to say thank you. You forgot to say thank you. Did you say thank you? Did you tell them thank you? Don't forget to say thank you. Look, when you say that, we all know your kids, my kids, our kids, they're not thankful. That's why we have to remind them. Say thank you. Say, well, it seems kind of disingenuous, really, that they should say that. They didn't say it on their own. Why should you make them say it? You're just trying to beat it into their head, trying to create habits in their life. You're saying, you have to be a thankful person. And we all know if you don't say it, then you're not thankful. You know that if you've been on the other side of a thank you, right? Maybe you did something for someone, you gave something to someone, you went out of your way to help somebody, and they didn't respond with a written or a verbalized thank you. That hurts, doesn't it? You say, well, I, I did this, I gave up that, I sacrificed this for you. You didn't even say thank you, you couldn't even tell me thank you. It's insulting. And the psalmist is just reminding us, when you come into God's presence, if you want to be a thankful person, it's got to come out of your mouth. You've got to verbalize it. Thanksgiving always involves words. Last idea. This is my favorite. This is the one that sums it all up. Thanksgiving involves faith. Verse 5. The Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I don't know about you, but usually when I think about things that I should be thankful for. I try to be thankful. I almost always look backwards in life. I don't know if you do that, but I almost always look backwards. I'm thankful. What am I thankful for? Well, I'm thankful that I was raised in a church-going family, past tense. Um, I'm thankful for the ways that God has provided for me financially in my life. Provided, past tense. I'm thankful, thankful for uh, the fact that he's brought me to this point where I get to be the pastor of this church. Present tense. 
But very rarely do I look forward into future tense and say I'm thankful for future. And you say, well, how can you be thankful for the future? It hasn't happened yet. But Psalm 100 verse 5 is saying part of being a thankful person is faith. And faith is looking forward. Look what he says. The Lord is good, present tense. He is good right now, today. His steadfast love endures forever. Future tense. Forever it's going to endure. And his faithfulness will endure to all generations. The kind of faith the psalmist is talking about is the kind of faith that says, I believe God is good right now. And in five minutes, he's still going to be good. And tomorrow, he's still going to be good. And in a month, he's still going to be good. And in 2094, he's still going to be good. To all of the generations that find themselves on this rock, he will be good. Now and forever. Just a minute ago, we sang a song. Stephen led us. Right? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the little hook in the middle of that song is, you give and you take away. Right? comes from the book of Job. Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Have you ever thought about how crazy it is to sing that? God, bless you for taking from me. How do you really do that? How do you really sing that? How do you really feel that without being a phony? Because the reality is when the Lord takes for us, we might be able to muster up the words and say them, but sometimes it's really hard to feel them. And we don't want you to sing that song just by sort of pulling up your bootstraps and mustering up the willpower to say the words out loud. Blessed be your name even when you take from me. I don't like it, but I know I'm supposed to say it, so I'm going to say it. I don't like it. When you say that, the focus is on what he took, the thing that he took, the circumstance that he took. And I'll just remind you again, the focus in Psalm 100 is not on your circumstances. And it's not on how big your bank account is or isn't. And it isn't on your family situation or this good thing or that bad thing. The, the focus isn't on any of those things. The focus is completely and entirely on God. And the person of faith says, I believe that God is good right now and tomorrow and for all generations he's going to be good. So even when he takes from me, I have that to be thankful for. And that's the most important thing to be thankful for. Not the stuff that he gave or the stuff that he took, but the fact that he is God. He's my creator and he's my redeemer. That's true today. It will be true for 10 trillion years. It will never change. So I've told you guys before about some of my friends. I told you about these guys a few weeks ago. These were some of my friends in college from Taiwan and told you about bowling class with this guy. And I even told you a couple weeks ago, they came to my house for Thanksgiving, right? And I told you how they knelt down in front of my great grandmother and she thought that was the greatest thing. She loved these guys so much. So these were some friends Brooke and I had and we wanted to share the gospel with them. None of them were believers. We bought them Chinese English Bibles. We invited them to church, brought them to church things. Um, shared our faith with them when we had opportunity. And like I told you before, we invited them to our house for Thanksgiving. And 
My family did not do this every year at Thanksgiving, but we decided to do it when these guys came over. And maybe your family has done it or you do it every year, but we said, we're going to go around the table before we eat, and everybody has to say something that they're thankful for, right? You guys ever done this? You have to go around, and if you're like the last guy at the table, there's nothing left when it gets to you, right? You're like, man, you guys got all the good stuff. There's nothing left. So we did that, and I'll be totally honest. I don't remember the answer I gave. I don't remember the answer my parents gave or my grandparents or my sister or anybody who was there. But I was thinking about these guys this week as I looked at Psalm 100. And uh, I'm hopeful and I'm wishful. And looking back on it, I think, man, I hope we didn't go around the table and just talk about stuff. I know you've sort of, you're going around the table, there's always that super spiritual person that says, I'm thankful for Jesus. And everyone else is like, really? You're just going to throw that out there? Really? Man, ruined it. I was going to say tennis shoes. You said Jesus. But I hope, I hope that when we, ran, we, we went around the table that we didn't just talk about stuff. I hope we didn't just say, man, we love God because he's given us all these gifts and all these things and all these blessings. And I hope that we pointed these guys to the giver, not just his gifts. Because that's true thanksgiving. It's not being so satisfied with the stuff God gives you that you walk around with a pleasant look on your face and a smile and you're just singing count your blessings all day long, just running through your head on loop. But it's saying, my focus and my thanksgiving is centered on the giver of the gifts. And you can do what you want with the gifts. If I have them, I'm thankful for them because I understand that they're blood-bought gifts of his grace. So yes, I'm thankful for the things. But I'm not thankful for the things because the things make me happy because things can never make me happy. Only the giver can do that. So to that end, so that we would be thankful people... Let me pray for you. Father, we admit and we confess that all too often we are satisfied with the blessings that you give us instead of you, with the things that you give us instead of you. And we pray that as we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving in just a few weeks, that we would already begin to think about what it means to be a thankful person. That we would be people whose emotions and whose words and whose beliefs line up with what we see in Psalm 100. Father, where we need to repent, give us grace to do that. Where we need to stop and give thanks to you this morning, guide us and direct us to that end. We love you and we are thankful because you are the true God. You are our creator, and you are our redeemer. We pray in the name of our good shepherd, Jesus. Amen.